Welcome, friends. I'm glad you've chosen this audio version of the guided reflection for today's retreat. Over the course of the next hour or so, I will be guiding you through a version of the same questions that are in the printed reflection packet for today's retreat. You can feel free to bundle up and go for a walk, or to sit somewhere comfortable with a journal and a warm drink, or any combination of things. Either way, my hope is that this tool will offer you a creative option for capturing some reflection time that might otherwise be hard to find. So, decide where you're going to start, and let's get going. If you need a minute or two to bundle up to get ready to go for a walk, or to fix a hot drink, just hit pause for as long as you need, and then hit play again when you're all ready to go. One of the things that can be challenging during these extraordinary times is simply being present to whatever is going on around us. So we're going to begin with a simple exercise to help bring our minds and bodies into the present moment, because the present moment is the place where God is. This is a deceptively simple exercise we've used before. It's called 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's begin. 5. Take a look around you. Look up, down. What are five things that you see? As you notice them, call them out and say them quietly to yourself. For example, if you're inside, you may say, I see a coffee table. I see books. If you're outside, you may say, I see trees. I see clouds. I see a house. Four, pay attention to your body. What are four things that you can feel? Say them quietly to yourself. For example, do you feel solid ground under your feet? Do you feel a breeze on your face? Do you feel the support of a chair underneath you? Do you feel hot or cold? Three, listen for three sounds. What do you hear? And name them as you become aware of what it is you're hearing. Feel free to pull out your earbuds for a second if you need to. Two, what do you smell? Try to pick out two different scents around you. Feel free to pick up your cup of tea or a blade of grass or a stick or a leaf. Name the things that you smell. And one. Name one thing that you can taste. Is it the taste of your morning coffee or tea or toothpaste or the taste of your dinner? Name what it is that you can taste. Let's spend just a few minutes in this centered place. Whether you're sitting comfortably or walking outside, take the next couple of minutes to simply be in this centered place. 
Let quiet gratefulness for your own breath and life draw you into God's presence. Release to your Heavenly Father any issue, agenda item, anxiety, or to-do list item that rushes to your mind. Just drop it at the door as you enter your Father's house empty-handed. Let your mind and heart sit in stillness long enough that you begin to feel some peace and rest. Now spend a few moments thanking your Heavenly Father for the good things He has granted you. Perhaps you can remember a verse or two from a favorite psalm, or just use the words that flow naturally from your heart, or just sit in silence, giving thanks and rejoicing. It's always helpful for me to remember, even with things like prayerful reflection, that I don't have to do these things on my own strength. With that in mind, ask your maker, the lover of your soul, to assist you in your reflection today. Ask him for protection from your spiritual adversary, who's a liar and an accuser and a distractor. Ask your loving Heavenly Father for the strength and clarity of honest inquiry. Ask him to reveal the things you cannot see on your own, and ask the Holy Spirit to keep you abiding in the peace that surpasses all understanding as you spend this time searching your heart and your mind. Now, when you're ready, proceed to the questions for reflection in the rest of this recording. Please do not approach these questions as a task you need to complete. This material is here to serve you, not the other way around. So listen carefully to the following prompts and feel free to focus only on the questions that seem most helpful to you. Feel free to pass over anything that seems unclear or unhelpful and to dwell for longer on the things that feel more helpful to you. your initial reaction to hearing this year's theme of generosity? And why do you think your initial reaction was what it was? Spend a few minutes thinking about that. The definition of generosity we are working with this year is the following. Generosity 
is the pervasive and joyful preference to give rather than receive. What are some things that you find helpful about this definition? What are some things that you find challenging about this definition? Again, that definition of generosity is the pervasive and joyful preference to give rather than to receive. One thing that can make generosity difficult, and perhaps even impossible, is when we feel like we are operating out of scarcity. A scarcity mentality fears that there is not enough for everyone. The temptation in a scarcity mentality is to try to secure for ourselves the things that we feel we need, such as financial stability, emotional security, power, affirmation, love, etc., Spend the next few minutes thinking back over your life. Were there particular periods of your life during which you were operating out of a scarcity mentality? Why do you think that was? And what was that like for you? What might it have been like for the people around you? Have there been particular periods in your life where someone around you was operating out of a scarcity mentality? What was that like for you? Are there particular ways you might be susceptible to a scarcity mentality in different areas of your life right now? How do you think that works? The scriptures, of course, offer us dozens and dozens of stories and images that directly confront the idea of a scarcity mentality. We're going to consider just two stories this morning. First, 
Let's look at the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. This may not be a familiar story to you. That's totally fine. You can find it in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And I'm simply just going to read it to you now. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. As you reflect on this story, what in her situation or surroundings might encourage this widow toward a scarcity mentality? This may seem like an obvious question, but make a list of the things, as far as you observe, that are hard about her situation. What promise or picture of enough or abundance does Elijah offer to counter the narrative of scarcity? And what might have been different if Elijah had simply dropped off a year's supply of oil and flour for the widow? Let's listen to the story one more time as we reflect on this question. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8-16 to 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives... I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. 
The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. How does the widow of Zarephath respond to the opportunity that's laid before her? And what do you think she might gain from this experience? Now let's look briefly at what might be a more familiar story. In Luke chapter 21, there's a scene where Jesus and his disciples are watching as various people are putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Listen to the text of this brief story. Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. He, Jesus, looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Now this is a challenging story, but let's spend a few minutes unpacking it just a bit. What in this widow's situation or surroundings might encourage her toward a scarcity mentality? Again, it might seem like an obvious question, but make a list of the things that are hard about her situation, as far as you might imagine.
What do you imagine might be motivating this woman to give all she had to live on, according to Jesus? As you consider this question, let's listen to the story again. Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. He, Jesus, looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Having given her extravagant gift, what do you think is in store for this woman? What do you think Jesus wants for her? As you think about these two images of abundance and the difference between perhaps a scarcity mentality and an abundance mentality, think about a time or two when you might have experienced living out of an abundance, a sense of abundance, the way these two widows seem to be living. What was that like for you? Now let's turn our reflection to the person of Jesus, because Jesus himself came of age in an occupied Palestine where desperate poverty was the reality for most Jews. 
Yet, when he emerges in his ministry, Jesus appears in the Palestinian countryside telling stories of miraculous abundance in the kingdom of God. Consider this brief passage from Matthew 6, 26-30. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Take a deep breath and let the words of that passage sink in. In the midst of all the temptations to give in to a scarcity mentality, what do you sense Jesus inviting you into with these simple, powerful words? Linger here for a few minutes, and let's listen to this passage one more time together. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? As you listen to this passage a second time, what invitation do you sense coming from Jesus? Feel free to rewind and listen again if you find it helpful. But what invitation do you sense from Jesus in these words? Throughout the New Testament, in every story, at every turn, with every choice, we see Jesus acting with extraordinary generosity. Consider another familiar story below. This is Matthew's version of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. 
When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Consider what the context of this story might add to our understanding of Jesus' generosity. Verse 13, the first verse opens with the words, Now when Jesus heard this, the news that Jesus had just heard is about the violent murder of his cousin John the Baptist in prison. So understandably, upon hearing the news, Jesus decides to withdraw to a lonely place to be by himself to process the news. But the crowds anticipate his movements, and when he comes ashore, there is a great crowd already waiting for him. Now, rather than withdrawing from the crowd, Jesus decides to press in to heal their sick. He teaches, and ultimately he feeds them all. And what emerges is this picture of abundance. Twelve baskets of leftovers are collected. Now, I want to be careful about this next couple of questions because we have all these wonderful examples of Jesus withdrawing by himself early in the day to find a a lonely place to pray. But in this particular case, Jesus was faced with a choice. There was a crowd that met him in that lonely place where he had chosen to go pray and to process the news of John the Baptist's murder. And rather than withdraw from the crowd, Jesus chooses to engage. He heals the sick, he teaches, and he ultimately feeds them. Let's listen to the passage one more time. Now, when Jesus heard this, 
He withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Think for a minute about what would have been different for the disciples that day. What would have been different for those thousands of people that day had Jesus chosen to go off by himself rather than to engage the crowd? Now, I want to be clear that healthy emotional boundaries are absolutely necessary and important. But have you ever felt the temptation to pull away socially or emotionally because of a scarcity mentality? What were the circumstances? How might you have handled the situation more generously? As we move toward the close of our reflection for today, consider this quote from theologian Walter Brueggemann. 
The great declaration of the alternative economy of the people of God is the Eucharist, the communion. Every time the church celebrates Holy Communion, it declares in the world and to the world that God's sustaining gifts of life are ample enough for all. As you think about celebrating communion during these extraordinary times, how might the Eucharist serve as a reminder for us that a scarcity mentality is simply not our ultimate reality? That what is most deeply true is that God's sustaining gifts of life are enough for all. Finally, spend a few minutes reflecting on where and how you have experienced generosity in your life. Who are the people who have shown you surprising generosity? In what ways did they show it? What did it make you think and feel? As you make this reflection, how would you like to grow in generosity this year? In what areas do you find yourself susceptible to a scarcity mentality? How would you like that to change? Spend some time asking your generous and kind Heavenly Father for insight and for transformation in these areas.
Thank you so much for joining me for this audio reflection. I hope that you found it helpful as we begin our study of the theme of generosity. As a reminder, if you haven't ordered your lunchtime meal yet, please do that now so that you'll be ready to join your small group for lunch at 1 p.m. And remember, your small group will be meeting on a separate Zoom link that was sent to you by your small group leader. Then we'll all meet back together on the main Zoom link at 2 p.m. for some final closure. See you soon, friends.